Hi I'm Shweta your host for Science with Shweta podcast and before we begin here's a word from our sponsor Now here's a word from our gifting partner the soulstore.com The Soul Store has incredibly cool collection of t-shirts, hoodies and boxers for men and women of your favorite superheroes, films, cartoons and many more. They have really cool collection of accessories like backpacks, badges, mobile covers, mugs and notebooks. Check the soulstore.com today. You're definitely going to love it. And don't forget to use our code to get discount on your shopping. The codes are available in the description. Hello and welcome to Science with Shweta podcast. Our guest today is Megan C. Megan is a PhD student in neuroscience at University of Illinois. She studies how everyday exposure to chemicals found in our environment affect cognitive development. Hi Megan, thanks for joining us. Hi Shweta, thanks for having me. Oh, it's so great. We finally get to talk. I've been waiting for this. I know, I've been so excited over the last couple of weeks. Yeah. <laughs> So uh Megan what is a uh, neuroscience? Yeah, so neuroscience is the study of the brain and how it works. Mm-hmm. Um generally we focus on how processes chemical um transmissions in the brain, so things like neurotransmitters, the way things uh the way cells talk to each other in the brain, that sort of thing, how that then affects an organism's behavior. Mm-hmm. Um In general, most of us focus on humans, um whether that's looking at it from an in vitro standpoint, so working with just little baby brain cells called neurons, um mm-hmm. or uh working with animal models. So a lot of people use rats and mice. Um some people like to use prairie voles uh mm-hmm. because of their pair bonding behavior. Um so a lot of people like them because of their because of that. Um uh those animals um as models for human behavior um there are even some labs that look at um fruit flies um and fish um and then other labs like mine look at humans um so some labs will use uh MRI so the fancy pictures of brains you see all over news and stuff like that where the brain is this 3D model and has different colors all over it. Those are really cool. Um that's not what I work with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh I I use eye tracking technology to study how uh babies think. So okay. kind of looking at how they process information and attend to different stimuli. Okay. So uh you study uh, the effects on cognitive development. Mhm. So uh, what is cognitive development? So um I focus on infant cognitive development. Mm-hmm. Um so that we look at how the baby's brain develops. Um so throughout history there's been some research in psychology that has gotten us to this point um sort of laying the foundation for figuring out how um we get to the point where we are as adults the way our brains work and how we think of different things how we process information mm-hmm. so looking at cognitive development is kind of looking at how um or at least my lab anyway looks at how babies uh start getting to that point and hitting those certain milestones 
that um, historical research has decided um, that it comes at different ages as we develop. Mm -hmm. uh, this is interesting. Uh, the study is quite interesting. So uh, when did you realize that uh, you wanted to pursue a career in neuroscience? Uh, so actually not until uh, my second year of undergraduate. Um, mm -hmm. So I actually went to a college at Northern Illinois University thinking I was going to become a veterinarian. Um, and then uh, throughout, as I look back anyway, uh, there were kind of little signs, I guess you could say, where I'm like, oh, yeah, no, I, I wanted to do research, but I had no idea it was an option. Mm -hmm. um, so then in an introductory biology course, one of my professors made an announcement that there were research opportunities available to us and we should start thinking about them. Um, so I emailed a few professors and heard back from one and ended up joining her lab. Um, I worked with her for mm -hmm. a while of uh, doing um, behavioral ecology research with uh, parasitoid wasps. So these are insects that prey on pest flies um, they're used a lot in agriculture, um, and that's where I really fell in love with behavioral research. Mm -hmm. uh, and she, uh, that mentor was amazing. She encouraged my exploration of different fields within behavioral sciences, um, and I ended up deciding to stick around and get an additional major in psychology. Mm -hmm. uh, so I figured, oh, I should probably join a lab in psychology too, <laughs> uh, and ended up in a neuroscience lab. Um, Northern neuroscience program is very small. There are only three faculty. Mm -hmm. so it's a pretty tight-knit group, um, and I ended up in one that works with rats, looking at models of Alzheimer's and stroke, mm -hmm. um, and I was with them for probably a year and a half, uh, and it was during that time that I realized I just loved the brain and it was sort of the perfect mixture of everything I loved about both of my majors. Um, so I applied to graduate school and uh, U of I was my first choice and mm -hmm. I got in. Um, I actually didn't start out working with uh, kids and infants. I started working in a different lab looking at uh, rodent models of humans um, exposure to toxicants. Mm -hmm. um, and then my former advisor left the university for a different career. Uh, I stayed behind and joined this new lab about a year ago, actually. Oh, the, the, that's uh, in a quite uh, different way you have discovered your passion for research. <laughs> yeah, it's been a little bit of an all-over-the-place journey. Yeah, and going from uh, being a vet uh, to a neuroscience must have been a great journey. <laughs> yeah. Because I loved animals, so then I started working with the rats, and I was like, this is perfect. Mm -hmm. This is what I wanted. <laughs> so uh, so uh, can you tell us uh, briefly about your uh, PhD topic? Yeah, so mm -hmm. uh, my specific topic is looking at prenatal exposure to things called phthalates. Um, these are chemicals added to plastic products to make them more flexible and less rigid. Mm -hmm. um, and also acetaminophen, which is also called paracetamol, or the brand name a lot of people are familiar with is Tylenol. Mm -hmm. um, looking at prenatal exposure to that, because there's been some research coming out 
in the last year or so, indicating that prenatal exposure to that may have similar uh, effects as prenatal exposure to phthalates is showing. Um, so I will be looking at prenatal exposure to each of those uh, individually um, and then also together uh, to see whether they're affecting social cognitive development and language development um, at seven months and two to three years. Mm-hmm. And uh, so yeah. uh, how, do, how do you study or uh, measure these effects? So, so we're still figuring that out. Okay. <laughs> um, the way we measure the phthalate is um, we do surveys with moms. So we actually recruit moms pretty early in pregnancy and then follow them throughout. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do a bunch of surveys with them to find out product usage and to then get concrete um, ideas of what their phthalate exposures are like. Um, we get some blood and urine samples during pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once baby's born, we get um, a couple of stool samples, and then we don't get any um, blood samples from them, but we do get a urine sample um, when we see them again at four years. And this is a study that's ongoing. It started about five years ago, and we're still applying for grants, trying to get more funding to continue to follow these kids. So things are always changing. Mm -hmm. Um, Looking at acetaminophen exposure is going to be a new thing. So I actually just met with my advisor this morning, and she wants me to do my preliminary presentation um, by the end of the spring semester slash early summer. So it's something we need to think about. Um, mm-hmm. So the way, right now, the way we get that exposure information is just from self-report surveys from mom during pregnancy about medication use. Mm-hmm. Um, but so far, no one in this group has looked at um, acetaminophen it's something that's kind of a new interest, and I happened to come in right when that interest was popping up, and I thought it was interesting, too. Uh, so it worked out great. Um, but we're still figuring out how exactly we're going to look at that. That's really interesting. So, uh, so your uh, research uh, focuses on neurotoxicology. Mm-hmm. So uh, can you tell us what is uh, neurotoxicology? So neurotoxicology combines... Um, neuroscience and toxicology. Mm-hmm. Um, and toxicology looks at how uh, different things have. Sorry, my cat <laughs> trying to eat cords. Um, toxicology looks at how different things affect the body in usually negative ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very similar to pharmacology, um, which is probably why I like it so much. <laughs> Um, so combining then the brain and how we look at these, um, chemicals, Mm -hmm. we can see how these things affect the brain and brain development, um, and just throughout life. Mm -hmm. So, um, what uh, actually are toxics? Like you define them in terms of what? Um, so something that is said over and over again, especially when you take your first toxicology course, is mm-hmm. the dose makes the poison. 
Um, so basically what they're saying is anything can be a toxicant. Um, mm -hmm. But toxicants are very different from toxins. So toxicants would be things that are um, usually added to the environment. Uh, so things like lead, the lead crisis in Detroit, Michigan, um, uh, I think it was about two years ago now, mm -hmm. um, that's still kind of ongoing. So lead in that case would be a toxicant. Um, toxins would be things that are like um, venom from a spider or a snake bite. Um, okay. So those are very different things, and one of the first distinctions you have to uh, make when you start in the field of toxicology. Um, and the specific sorts of toxicants I look at would be things that are in our everyday environment. So um, people in toxicology look at it from all different angles. Um, there are people who will look at it um, like after massive disasters. So like after one of the massive hurricanes that hit Texas this last fall, mm -hmm. um, there were people from um, the U.S. government, um, I forget which department specifically, uh, went out to look at uh, how things were being affected there. So all of the flooding could have resulted in some chemical leaks and spread, um, just kind of looking at that. Mm -hmm. um, I look at more like daily life. Um, so like we use plastic products all the time. They're pretty integral to our life, uh, these days. So, um, and the problem in the U S at least is that chemicals aren't required to be tested before they're put on market. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's where we got the crisis, like with BPA and all the outcry when science started looking at BPA and how it affects, um, humans, um, and, so there was the big outcry a few years ago, and now everything is plastered with these labels that say BPA-free, which doesn't necessarily mean much because they just replaced BPA with a similar but different chemical, um, mm -hmm. often something like BPF or BPS. And so that's something else we're looking at. We're looking at the replacement chemicals in our study um, to see if those are maybe just as bad or even worse, and sometimes in some cases, these replacement chemicals end up being even worse um, for our health. Does that answer your question? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so basically, there are like two uh, types. There can be environmental or they can be uh, the compounds which are exposed during your daily life. Yes. Okay. So, um, so you basically work on the uh, personal care products or the household products, which uh, may be harmful. Mm -hmm. And so, am I right? Yes. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but uh, having said this, Megan, we are unaware of uh, all these, right? We we use so many things in our daily life, so many cosmetics or uh, beauty care products, and we just use them. So, uh, why do you think uh, uh, research in this area is uh, important? Like, how these compounds are influencing, uh, as you said, child development, and why do you think area research in this area is important? Um, so I think it's pretty important. Um, certainly I'm biased. This is what mm -hmm. I look at. <laughs> um, but, uh, it's 
important because I, I'm not sure what the policy is in other countries and other parts of the world, but mm -hmm. at least in the U.S., like I said before, chemicals aren't required to be tested, um, certainly not as rigorously as they the FDA requires of uh, pharmaceutical development, so developing drugs that then get put on the market. Those go through at least a decade or more of testing to make sure that they're safe um, and finding out what sort of adverse effects could be caused by them, mm -hmm. um, and then testing them in everything from cells to animal models to then doing clinical trials with humans to make sure that they're safe enough to use and that they're effective. Mm -hmm. um, chemicals that are added to the products we use, so just adding things to, um, say, like a cleaning product or adding it to some sort of plastic product that we use um, or even a beauty product, um, those compounds that are added to them, whether it's to make up the product itself or to help with preserving it for long periods of time to sort of increase its shelf life. Those, at least in the U.S., aren't required to be tested. Um, there may be some rules or guidelines, but if they are in place, they're not enforced well. Um, so the way I put it is that then we have a scientist kind of running around trying to play whack-a-mole mm -hmm. <laughs> as soon as we find out uh, one of these chemicals is bad and we finally get all the uh, crazy politics stuff out of the way and say, um, put in some sort of regulation or rule um, that says, no, we can't use this anymore or it can only be used in very specific, limited circumstances um, with proper training and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, as soon as we say that, then the industries will come up with a replacement chemical. Um, so like I was saying, the BPS or BP. Uh, F. Mm -hmm. um, and so then the scientists go back and we're like, we've just dealt with this. <laughs> Can we please find out if it's safe before we use it? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, at least that's how I feel. Um, so uh, it's really important um, mm -hmm. because we don't know if we have any effect on human health, um, at least in the U.S., uh, before they're put into our everyday lives. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yes, that's right. Okay. <laughs> As you mentioned, uh, it is uh, really very important that we know about the chemicals and their harmful effects. And um, so you do your best, uh, you communicate about the uh, beauty behind science. And uh, like uh, you, <laughs> you have a science guide to cosmetics and you share a lot about it. And you want, to, you want everyone to uh, make an educated uh, decision about the products they use. And so uh, you share a lot about nail polish. But I'm like, we never think of uh, nail polish and environmental health. We just use it, right? No, exactly. <laughs> so uh, are there any uh, specific chemicals that uh, one should look for when they buy any product? Like uh, most of the time there are components or ingredients mentioned. So uh, there, are there any some names right. which uh, someone should look for before they buy any product? Um. So... Let me actually bring up my old blog post about that. Sure. <laughs> I wrote that probably a little over a year ago now, and I haven't looked at it in a while. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, so there are some chemicals, and at least in the U.S., um, a lot of the ones that um, should 
you should be concerned about or I actually find that when I look at labels on uh, nail polish and cosmetics, they're mm-hmm. actually not there. Um, so I don't know if they have been phased out of use by a lot of these companies or if they just aren't listing them. Uh, I'm not entirely sure. Um, so one of the big ones is definitely phthalates. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way you can look for that is if it ends in phthalate, <laughs> if they have the full chemical name listed, um, anything that ends in phthalate is a phthalate. Okay. Um, the, one of the most common ones is abbreviated as EEHP, that's mm-hmm. phthalate. Um, that's kind of the big one that's added to a lot of personal care products. Um, or I'm sorry, not personal care products. That one's actually added to um, more like PVC piping um, and some harder plastics like that. Um, so that's one of them. Um, mm-hmm. One that's often talked about online or in the news is parabens. Um, that one. So parabens are, um, the way I see it, the science is still kind of out on those. Um, there hasn't been a ton of research looking at how they affect human health and development, so I'm really not sure. Um, but they're often added to personal care products as a preservative mm-hmm. uh, to increase the shelf life. Another one that actually has been in the news recently is oxybenzone or benzophenone 3. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the same chemical, just two names. Um, so that one is added to a lot of sunscreens mostly. Um, I have seen a slightly different one. Um, I think it's benzophenone 3 that is often added to the nail polish top coat that I see. Um, and I'm not sure about the science behind that one. Um, if there's anything we should worry about, it probably something I should look into. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm certainly not perfect, <laughs> um, even though I study this stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Toluene is one that's not awesome. Um, so that one, actually, when I look at nail polish products, I don't see it added very often. Mm-hmm. Um, but toluene is essentially the chemical people get high off of when they, when you say they're sniffing glue. Um so it's been associated with some birth defects when moms are exposed to pretty high levels during pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just general exposure, um, like everyday exposure, it's basically the effects of sniffing glue. So you have like memory loss and dizziness and poor balance, that sort of thing. Kind of like you're a little drunk or something. Formaldehyde is one that um, I also don't see added nail polish very much anymore, but it is one that uh, people are worried about. Um, so it has been classified classified as a carcinogen, so it's known to cause cancer, so that is concerning. Um, but uh, mostly for cosmetics, it's used in very small amounts. So the major concern is uh, having an allergic reaction. So if you know you have um, an allergy to formaldehyde or any related chemicals to it, um, you should try to avoid it in your uh, cosmetics. Yeah, so those are some of the big ones. Um, 
the easiest way to avoid stuff like that is to look for uh, nail polish companies that say their polishes are three free or seven free or ten free or whatever number free. The, the numbers are all over the place and keep growing. <laughs> um, so a lot of them also happen to be vegan and um, environmental, environmentally friendly in some way or something. Um, so, yeah, those are the chemicals I had. <laughs> okay. I think uh, you have highlighted some uh, very important points here because um, we just randomly use so many cosmetics or products and we uh, never think of, um, you mentioned so many products right now like creams and sunscreens <laughs> and uh, nail polish. We just uh, use them uh, without listening but I'm sure uh, listening to you our listeners will be aware next time before they buy any product. Oh, yeah, and just getting into this field, like, I had no idea before either, and then I started studying these things, and now, I, uh, the other day, I spent probably 30 minutes in the soap aisle at my local store when I was going grocery shopping, just looking at ingredient lists, because it, now it fascinates me, and I'm always curious. <laughs> <laughs> No, but I think all of us uh, should uh, start uh, looking for it and at least be aware of what is good for us and what is not good for us. And what at the most we can do is uh, the regulate the amount which we use. Yeah. Use it and when required. Yeah, sort of watch uh, how much you use and um, keep an eye on ingredient lists. So mm -hmm. I know it's time-consuming and don't really want to do it um, but it is worth it and actually it can be kind of fun <laughs> I mean if you're a nerd like me I guess <laughs> no and uh, once you have figured out uh, the product which works best for you I guess then you have uh, no issues because then you can continue using the one which uh, which suits you the best exactly yeah. Uh, so, uh, Megan, studying through your uh, graduation school or uh, right now when you're doing your PhD, there are uh, times when you feel uh, depressed or uh, low and depression and anxiety is the uh, issue which uh, no one talks about, but uh, you have been uh, very vocal about it and you have shared your experiences and you have fought it and you have emerged as a, a winner. And, you know, I really uh, feel so good looking at uh, you being so strong. <laughs> It's certainly not easy. Um, yes. But, yeah, no, I do try to be open, certainly online, um, because it's not something people like to talk about, and it needs to be talked about. Um, uh, so, yeah, I, yeah, so an undergrad, actually, um, so when I was in college, uh, I started seeing a therapist at school uh, after a boyfriend broke up with me. Uh, I don't remember the reason now, but something he said in the breakup really drove me to seek some therapy um, and it was actually really good that was probably the best thing that came out of that relationship mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so I was in therapy for probably oh, two years I think there um, and then they phased we phased my uh, visits down until uh, graduation or a little bit before so then I was done um, and then um Things were okay for a while, and then in my first semester of grad school, actually, uh, I started having panic attacks, um, mm -hmm. and uh, I, 
most of them came like in the middle of the night when I was sleeping. So I just wake up with my heart racing, thoughts racing, out of breath, um, pain in my chest. I had no idea what woke me up or what was going on. Um, and it wasn't until I had a panic attack on the bus one day going back to my lab from class that I realized what was happening. Um, and I feel like the only, I really give my undergraduate education in psychology credit because I feel like I was able to learn some of the general warning signs and symptoms mm -hmm. so I could recognize this. Um, otherwise, I really don't think I would have known what was happening or what to do. Um, so I sought help. I went to the doctor, and then that following semester, I was actually supposed to start teaching my first class, and I was terrified. <laughs> um, I've had stage fright or performance anxiety for as long as I can remember. Um, so I talked to that doctor, and um, we decided on a medication plan. Mm -hmm. So I stuck with that for a while, and things were good, and then um, I slowly phased off of that treatment plan, uh, and then uh, I'm trying to think when it was. I think it was probably a year and a half after that, mm -hmm. um, after I taught my first class, that I had another breakdown when I was actually visiting my dietitian on campus, um, and she walked me down the hall to mental health and got me set up with appointments to see um, both a, a psychiatric nurse to talk about medication and treatment plans and a psychologist. Um, so uh, that was really helpful. And I've been seeing, or I was seeing the psychiatric nurse uh, regularly until she retired this last summer. So um, I just saw my new psychiatrist, um, I think it was last week for the first time, and mm -hmm. we adjusted my treatment plan, um, and I still see my psychologist from time to time as needed. Um, and it's been really helpful, um, but I, I do feel like I have found a good support group or supportive network um, in my life. So uh, my fiancé is now at medical school, um, which is hard because he's away during the week, mm -hmm. um, but we actually met in psychology, and we're both very into neuroscience and the brain, so um, we're both very passionate about mental health and mental illness and mm -hmm. um, understanding that. So I feel like talking to him is actually really helpful. <laughs> um, and then I've got most all of my friends uh, from graduate school or from undergrad are in different places, but they're still really supportive, and I can text them or call them whenever. And now I've also found this really supportive network on Instagram, which I did not expect, but mm -hmm. it's been amazing and it's been so great. So anytime I need to vent because this project or this data set just is not doing what I want it to do and things aren't making sense or I'm just really frustrated with class or whatever, I can go talk to any of these people and vent and then I feel better and then I'll important that we talk about these issues because people are hesitant to talk about it and uh, there's this um, st 
stigma in the society that uh, if a person is having anxiety and depression we 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 don't take mental health and mental illness seriously and so you you coming out and being so vocal about it sharing it here on instagram like you said it is really commendable and you you have really handled yourself so good oh thank you it <laughs> certainly hasn't been easy it, i'm sure it looks like things like it's been smooth and easy um from what i share online i try i've been making more of an effort recently to be a little more raw and um sort of unfiltered i guess mm-hmm. <laughs> to show that it's it's not great it's, it's not, not always awesome not easy. <laughs> but uh, as yeah. you mentioned the support of your family and the loved ones is like what you can yeah. which you can get through you know which helps you to be strong all the way absolutely i would not be able to make it through this without them i can't count the number of times um in my former lab where i went to my former lab mate and pulled her aside into the uh testing room and just cried mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but she was amazing i could not have made it through this without her hi rika love you <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much megan for sharing your uh, story with us i'm sure uh, this will all those who are listening here and all those who are going through depression and anxiety i, I hope they get the uh, energy to share their uh, at least with their loved ones what they are going through so that we can help each other and get stronger day by day and we can hopefully fight this mental illness and as well as the um, the um, what we can say the stigma which is around it that people don't talk about it exactly and that's all i hope to do yeah <laughs> so uh, Me- megan you are a very active mm-hmm. sky commerce so uh, why do you think is science communication so important um so what's funny is i don't think i realized what science communication was mm-hmm. until um i went to the um Oh shoot, what is it called? American Association for the Advancement of Science. So the AAAS meeting um when it was in Chicago a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um and I saw Ellen Alda from MASH who now has the Ellen Alda Communication Center at Stony Brook University. Um I saw him give a talk about science communication because he used to have a show where he would go interview scientists and he realized there was an issue where scientists aren't trained to talk to the general public about their science mm-hmm. um and um that's a problem um <laughs> there's a lot of scientific misinformation um and misunderstanding out there so i just i've always felt like it's important that we as scientists try to make an effort at least mm-hmm. to communicate our science in a way that the public can understand so that then um especially when it time comes time to get more funding for science um then they'll be able we'll be able to get some more support for that okay so uh, we'll we'll have some uh, fun questions now <laughs> okay <laughs> so um if you weren't doing uh, if you were not doing neuroscience then what do you see yourself doing uh i think writing um mm-hmm. i've always enjoyed writing i remember when i was a kid i would pick up these pamphlets at the grocery store about like becoming some sort of author and send in writing samples and stuff and they would always mail back 
saying, oh, sorry, you're too young. You know, try again when you're 18 or whatever. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so writing is just something I've always enjoyed. So I think uh, like a crazy dream of mine growing up was to be like an author just traveling the world. Uh, what is your favorite getaway? Like uh, what is your source of entertainment when you're not doing, when you're not in your lab? Um, when I'm not in my lab, uh, <laughs> um, which is, uh, when is that? <laughs> I actually have a funny story. Um, mm -hmm. I was working on some data last night, pretty late. And, um, one of our staff members came into the coding room I was sitting in, um, to grab some paperwork or something. And she said, you're still here? Like, yeah, I am. She's like, you just thinking you that oh I live here now Cindy right <laughs> like yeah pretty much <laughs> um, <laughs> but when I have free time um, something I like working on is actually my uh, Instagram and website I like planning stuff for that talking to people um, from there so people like you Shweta um, people I've met through Instagram mm -hmm. it's really fun to learn about graduate school in other countries around the world too I've connected with people from Australia and learned that they don't generally have a coursework requirement but in the U.S. there is mm -hmm. and I was like well shoot I should have gone to Australia um <laughs> and then uh, I enjoy sort of vegging out on the couch with my cat watching tv or just having something on in the background so uh, do you have any uh, current favorite tv shows or series Oh, man. <laughs> oh, what have I been watching recently? I have to think. Um, recently, we've been watching Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Mm -hmm. um, let me think. The other series that my fiance and I both love is Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Um, the musical and drama and comedy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, um, and then our go-to when we're out of things to watch and we're just bored is Frasier. <laughs> so uh, you, do you like reading books? Of course. <laughs> I wish I had more time. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, like a any favorite genre or uh, any favorite book? Um, favorite book? Uh, that would be hard. I haven't read anything um, in a while that mm -hmm. has made me add it to my favorites list, I guess. <laughs> um, but I really enjoy historical fiction and memoirs. So uh, if you could take one thing to an island with you, what would it be and why? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what would I take to the island? This is always a tricky one because I've got to entertain myself for a while, but it's <laughs> um, one thing that's hard. Uh I guess my cat. <laughs> <laughs> she would be a great company for you. She would be. She would <laughs> snuggle and just be so fun. <laughs> uh, so apart from your family and friends, which three famous personalities would you like to have dinner with? Oh, um, Emma Watson. Mm -hmm. And I think I already forgot. Oh, uh, Mindy Kaling. Um, Oh, shoot, I forget her name. Um, and, uh, oh, Rachel Bloom. Okay. So, uh, Megan, you also uh, do ballet and ice skating, which according to me, ballet is the uh, 
I think it is the most difficult dance form yet so graceful. So uh, how do you oh, find wow. out uh, time for all this? Like I'm really curious. Uh, you manage so many things: your uh, PhD, your ballet, then your ice skating. You even do teaching. Yeah. Oh man, yeah. Um, so I actually I don't teach anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, just in the summers, because um, I've finished out my teaching requirements. So then, just in the summers, I work with this um, research program for undergrads, where I mentor a group of undergrads in life sciences, usually. Um, as they work on their research projects and then a presentation for the end of the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, so that technically teaching or technically counts as teaching um, through the university. Mm-hmm. So that's the only time I really teach anymore. Um, and then ballet, I've actually been neglecting for quite a while. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um Uh, so I used to take classes at the Park District here in Champaign, um, which is just like a couple hours a night, um, just once a week. Um, and that's really just kind of a fun exercise, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then ice skating is another thing I've been neglecting a little bit. <laughs> it's a little, it's kind of expensive to do. Um, but the university I'm at has an ice rink and ice skating lessons taught by students, so they're pretty uh, discounted, um, especially for other students. Uh, so uh, when I have a little extra cash, I plan to go back to those because they're pretty. Um, Reasonable, and it's like forty minutes once a week to take lessons, and it's usually like an eight-week class. Um, and then the ice rink on campus also has um, open skate. I think it's almost every day mm-hmm. now, um, unless they have an event or a hockey game. Um, so for those, it the ice is open to the public, and I think it's maybe a dollar to enter and then maybe a couple of dollars to mm-hmm. rent skates. Um, but I have my own skates and students uh, can go to open skate for free. So it's totally free for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just finding time to go there during open skate because it's usually like around lunchtime or other times when I actually happen to have a participant in the lab. So I need to go see them instead. <laughs> so it's, Not easy. <laughs> no, no, not at all. And ballet, at least no. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> Anything you would uh, like to share with our listeners or those who are interested in your career path? Um, yeah, uh, my career path will be long, <laughs> and it, it's not going to come to its final destination for a few years, probably, mm-hmm. um, since I had to change labs. Um, but yeah, if you want to follow along um, on my Instagram, which is Meg Made Up fourteen, um, I share my nail polish because I do my nails every week just for fun. Um, and then I, I, I love do, your nail uh, colors, though they are all beautiful uh, and glittery. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, I love glitter. <laughs> um, yeah, so you can see my nail polish. <laughs> Um, And then I I do a Toxicology Tuesday post every week, or try to, which is actually started by another um, Instagrammer in toxicology, Taylor Catherine. Um, And then I also have a Women in STEM Wednesday series 
um, which if you identify as a woman and are in a STEM field, Mm -hmm. please contact me. Um, You can contact me direct message on Instagram, or you can send me an email at megmadeup uh, at gmail.com. Um, and we can get you set up to be one of my next features. I would love to do that. Um, and then I also just share some science, other science news or other things in science and healthcare that I am interested in at the time um, and some about my mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I think that's it. Thank you so much, Megan, for joining us. It was great learning about neuroscience and the research you are doing. Thanks for uh, making us aware uh, to understand and take an educated decision while we uh, use healthcare products. Your journey uh, learning about neuroscience will surely inspire our listeners to take up career in neuroscience. Also, special thanks okay. to you for uh, sharing your story of fighting with depression and anxiety. Um, yeah, I'm, thank you so much for having me, Shweta. It, it was so great talking to you. Yeah, and I'm sure listening to you, more people will start talking and sharing their stories. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us, Megan. Thank you. So guys, if you have any questions, you can reach out to Megan on Instagram. She would be happy to help you out. The link is available in the description. Also, if you need any kind of assistance, please feel free to contact us on any social media. Also, don't forget to check out our sponsors. The links to all are available in the show notes. Here's a word from our sponsor. Hey guys, do you want to learn or improve your English? Here is an app for you. Utter app helps you learn English while chatting and improve your listening, understanding and speaking. Utter has 200 plus basic, intermediate and advanced English conversation topics and 100 plus grammar tests and exercises. It also has complete grammar curriculum for better sentence construction, translation in common Indian languages and a clickable dictionary. Plus, it is very simple to use. You can start conversing with chatbots and live tutors for just 10 to 15 minutes a day. With Utter app, you will be able to improve your English conversation skills. Utter will help you in speaking in casual and professional scenarios. So, download Utter app now and use code UTTER25 to avail 25% discount on premium membership.